Hi, everyone. Uh, if you're new or visiting, um, just want to say welcome to Mosaic Christian Fellowship. Uh, we're so happy you chose to worship with us this morning. Um, my name is Andre. For those of you who might not know, I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I lead our college ministry. And I get to deliver God's word to you uh, today. So thank you, P. Doug. I was supposed to preach last week, but I got a little sick. But I'm 100% now, so thank you, P. Doug, for delivering your word. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please flip to Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 to 14. We're, we're back in our sermon series, so if you have your phones, turn them on and find it. If you have your Bibles, flip there. If you have neither, you can look behind me. All right. Uh, this is God's word for us. I'll be reading from the ESV. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exile whom I have sent into uh, exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease. Verse seven being the really important verse, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie, that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Um, we're back in our sermon series. We've been away from it for the past couple of weeks, but we're back and we're gonna chug along. We're gonna be finished soon, but today I get to speak on this beautiful passage. And I, I wrestled a lot uh, with what I wanted to say, but what the message that I wanna share with us today is, what do God's people, how are we supposed to live in a world that is constantly changing around us. And how do we be faithful in doing? That's my message for today. So if you, if you were to get up and leave today, uh, that's the main point. Uh, what, do I, um, what do God's people look like in this ever-changing world and how do we be faithful in it? So to start, imagine this. Um, it's Sunday morning, right? It's a warm summer day, uh, spring day, and you woke up a little bit early or earlier, much like today and you have a couple of hours ahead of you. And so you go to your favorite coffee shop of choice in your neighborhood, and as you're waiting in line to grab a cup of coffee, um, you just look around you, you feel good, you're happy, everybody's happy. Now, you get up to the counter, and you order your drink of choice. Mine is a flat white. Um, if you never had a flat white, I highly recommend it. It's the perfect amount of foam and milk. Um, but because there's time, you order your drink, but then they ask you a question. And you're kind of like, uh, why did you just ask me a question? Uh, I came to order a drink, but they ask you a question. And the question they asked you was, um, what are you doing today? What are you going to do on this beautiful, warm spring day? 
And you could say a lot of things, right? And you could say, you know, it's, well, it's, it's Sunday, so I'm going to go run by the Hudson River in Edgewater. It's a great place to run. Or you can say, I'm going to do some chores today because Sunday is chore day. Or you could either say, well, I'm going to grab some brunch with some friends and I'm going to enjoy my day. But for those of you who are brave enough, if you say this, I wonder if you feel a tension in the back of your heart like I do sometimes. And, and the thing that you could say that might create this tension as well, today is Sunday, and every Sunday, I go to church over in Northville, New Jersey called Mosaic Christian Fellowship because I'm a Christian. And as a Christian, we, we gather every single Sunday with other believers and we declare that Jesus is Lord over my life and over my city and over this world. Soy milk, by the way. <laughs> and if you say that, I wonder how many of us feel that tension in the back of our hearts because it's not easy to declare Jesus over Lord in our lives, is it not? And if you live long enough as a Christian, it won't be long until you feel a little out of place in this world and in this life. And I use that illustration, which is very oversimplified, but hopefully you made the point, that we feel out of place sometimes in this world. And for those of you who feel this way, the Bible has a name for that condition. And the name of that condition is called exile. What is an exile? An exile is someone who is away from their home. So imagine being in a foreign city the roads are different. People are driving on the left side when you're used to the right side. They speak differently. They interact differently. And you feel like a foreigner. Why? Because you're not used to the practices of that country. You're not used to the values of that country. You're not used to interacting the way you normally do where you are from. What the Bible calls that condition is called exile. And some people, some of you in this room, you feel like an exile when you're grabbing a cup of coffee in the morning. Some of you might feel like an exile when you're talking with your coworkers at work, what you did over the weekend. And some of you might even feel like exiles being in your home, own homes because you're the only believer there. So we feel this everywhere we go, and we feel it on our everyday lives. And the Bible calls that being an exile. And in our text, in Jeremiah 29, the Babylons felt the same way. Not the Babylons, sorry. The, the Israelites felt the same way, being in Babylon. And I don't know what your Bibles say, but when I look at the header on top of Jeremiah 29, mine says Jeremiah's letter to the who? The exiles. That's who he's talking to in our passage. And I know we've been away from the sermon series, so I'm not sure if you remember what's going on right now, but let me give you a very quick recap. God's people, Israel, God's been giving them message after message after message to turn back to him. To, to look to him, to place their trust in him. But because of their sin, because of their rebellion, and because they just didn't choose to see God as more worthy, God brought Babylon into their lives and brought them into exile. And Babylon, guys, I, like, I don't know when I say the word Babylon, how you react to that, but if you were the Israelites and you heard the name Babylon, you shook with fear. Babylon was a powerhouse nation at this time, and they just came, and they destroyed their city along with the temple. They destroyed the people, and with the ones who were alive, they deported by foot a 1,000 miles from Jerusalem all the way to Babylon. 
And now God's people were forced to figure out how to navigate their new lives as exiles in a foreign nation. And let me tell you, these two nations could not have been any more different. And this is what I mean. If the city of Jerusalem and the people of God were given the moniker, the city of God, Babylon was the epitome of the city of man. God's people were raised their whole lives to devote their life to one person, to trust in one God, therefore being monotheistic. The Babylons, they had this culture where they embraced every religion, every culture, and therefore they were polytheistic. What moved and what, the, what God's people's heart was, was led by was his word, it was his law. But the people of Babylon were moved by their desires and the passions of their flesh. So two very different people. And does this sound similar, what I'm describing when I talk about Babylon? I could have been talking about any type of major city in this world by describing Babylon right now. But the thing is, you don't have to be in a city to feel this. Even us being in the suburbs of Jersey, we feel it on this side of the river too. These, the heartbeat of Manhattan, the heartbeat of Babylon, even where we are right now. And so for, for these Jewish exiles, they need to figure out now, how do I live here? And that's the question you and I are asking in the worlds and in the cities that you are in. How many of us are asking the question, what does it mean to be a faithful follower of Jesus on campus? How many of you are asking, what does it mean to be a faithful follower of Jesus at work? How do I be faithful at home? How do I be faithful when I'm just doing everyday things around me? And I know you guys have so many more questions in the list for how do I be a faithful Christian can go on and on and on. But I want to focus on one idea today. And that idea is the idea of faithful presence. Can everybody say faithful presence? Thank you. The first service was like faithful presence. Uh, But faithful presence is what I want to focus on today because I really think that's one way God is really calling us to be salt and light in this world. And you see that in Jeremiah 29 as well. If you want a verse that captures this idea, look at verse 7. This is what God says. He says, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And you know, the word that's repeated three times here is called the word welfare. And in English, it's really easy to just skip right over this word because we don't see really the the importance of it. But in Hebrew, this is the word shalom. Okay, and I don't, if you know your Hebrew, shalom is one of those words that's just packed with so much meaning, and it's like Pandora's box. The more you look into it, the more it comes out of it, and more comes out of it. But to help you understand what shalom is, the best definition I can provide for you is holistic wholeness. That is shalom. Shalom is holistic wholeness. So when God uses the word, I want you to seek the shalom of Babylon, he's saying, I want you to seek the entire wholeness of every area of life. And that includes your mental wholeness. That includes your emotional wholeness. That includes your relational wholeness, your physical wholeness, your political, art and cultural, um, your, your, your political and financial. It includes all of these things when God says, that's what I'm calling you to pursue in this city. And when, when we understand that God's mission for his people and the mission for this world is to bring wholeness, that has to shape the way you and I live our lives. That has to show you that we are not supposed to be so disconnected and removed from the places that are broken, but as Christians, we're called to enter these places and move in. 
Because how do you bring wholeness to areas if you're not even going to be there? You can't. How do you bring wholeness to Wall Street? It's not easy, trust me that, but I mean, you, unless we get into these areas, we're not gonna be able to make um, movement into these areas, but God is calling his people saying, I want you to seek the shalom of Babylon. And when we start to understand this, what that means then is every career that you have in this room matters. Do you work in tech? It matters. Are you a designer? Are you an artist? Are you an educator? Are you a counselor? It matters. Are you a stay-at-home mom or dad? It matters. Whatever you do, because God is calling us to seek wholeness, it matters. And so what I need to kind of help us understand here is I need to help us connect our beliefs to our practices because what you believe determines how you will live. Here's a very, very silly example. Um, imagine I said to you right now, outside there's a T-Rex and he's coming inside because he's hungry. If you believe me, how are you going to respond? You're bolting out that door right there. If you don't believe me, how are you going to respond? You're just gonna stay put. So based on whether you believe me or not, that's gonna cause you to move in a different direction. Why? Because your beliefs will determine your practice. And if we believe that God is on a mission to bring redemption and restoration in this world that has to move us to entering the places where he's calling us. One of the things that, um, that I love about our community is that we have people in our community that are spread so wide but are also rooted so deep. We have people who work in vast industries, but at the same time, we have people who live in very vast areas. So if you're asking the question, all right, man, I hear you talking about faithful presence, but where do I even begin? Begin where you log on to work tomorrow night in the morning. Begin where you go home to tonight. Begin in those places. And, you know, you know, we have people who live everywhere, right? We have people who live right here, Northvale, New Jersey. We have people who live in Fort Lee, Powell Park. We have people who live across the, across the Hudson River, Edgewater, beyond, and family. We even have people who live in Babylon. I mean, not Babylon. <laughs> we have people who live in Brooklyn. I mean, you can kind of say that's Babylon, right? Uh, but, I mean... Uh, yeah, uh, I don't know why I said Babylon, okay? But we have people who live in Brooklyn. I mean, they moved recently, right? But they used to live in like Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Not like Manhattan, Brooklyn, but like you cross three bridges to get here, Brooklyn. And, but now they moved closer here. But you know, we had people who are so far out who commute here. My commute here is 40 minutes, you know, every time I drive here. And so it, like, why do we do this? It has to be because we believe that there's something here that we believe in, whether it's community, whether it's the mission, whether it's just we had an encounter with God and there's something that led us to being here. But now the, the way God works is he brings you in and then he brings you out so that you can go out to people over there and then bring them even more in. That's the way God works. And we have to see that that's what God is calling us to here right now. So this is God's call to faithful presence, okay, friends? This is what he's calling us to. But now, the moment you start to practice this, it gets really hard. It's so easy to talk about, like God is calling you and me to faithful presence. He's calling you and me to be in our places and be the light of Christ. But when you actually start doing this, it gets really difficult, right? And why? Because you can be as faithfully present as you want, but sometimes people won't be faithful to want you there. You can be as faithful as you want, but that does not mean people will welcome you there. But secondly, 
And I think this is even the harder part. God might call you to be present to people you have no heart for. Knowing God and knowing the way that he saved me, God will send you to be a light of hope for people you have no heart for. And that's when it gets really, really hard. And that's the case for God's people here in Babylon. You know, when God called Israel to seek the shalom of Babylon, and he says, I want you to pray for their welfare. I want you to work for their well-being, for their shalom. They knew exactly what he was saying. They understood God was saying, now Israel, I'm connecting your well-being to Babylon's well-being. So guys, you can't just thrive on your own. You can't be on an island of believers and expect, you know, Babylon to just wither away. He tells them, I don't work that way. I want to bless you, but I also want to bless the, pe- the, bless the people that you're, that's located around you. I, I have a heart bigger than just you. I want to I bless the people that don't even know me. I want to work in, so that the people who don't know me will get to know me. And the only way I can do that is if you move in and, and I use you to be these kinds of people for Babylon. And guess how they responded? With a loud and resounding no. And if you and me were in these shoes, we would react the same way. And friends, I think it's really easy to over-romanticize love when it comes to the Christian faith, right? Like, I think it's really easy for me to say, now, friends, love people limitlessly. Give all of yourself. Love, like, just surrender, pour out all of yourself, regardless of your own mental health, regardless of your own physical health. But God doesn't work that way either, because when you look at the book of Proverbs, God has so many guidelines for how to love in a healthy way, right? He says many times, cut off wicked people from your life, right? He does say, you, I, I want you to love, but I, I don't want you to kill yourself over it, but I want you to love in the way that I have called you sacrificially, But there are boundaries to how you can do that well and how you can do that faithfully. And so I don't want to over-romanticize this thing, but when we see this passage, God seems to be pushing them further and further to love Babylon. And you got to understand, man, like Babylon, they they mastered the art of destroying a culture. They didn't just destroy cities. They didn't just destroy people but they destroyed their absolute culture. So one of the things they would do is, for the, for the people who survived, right, what they would do is they would take them, deport them back into their city, and they would take them through like this re-education camp. And they would help them, they would indoctrinate them to the culture of Babylon, to the ways and values of their city and of their world, so that, so that these people, these Israelites, would forget their culture. So the Babylons had one mission in mind. If they forget who they are, if they forget their culture, if they forget their tradition, they will forget God. And then if they forget God, who else do they have? They have nothing else. And then they would take these people, plug them back into their city of Babylon, and then they would work and repurpose Babylon for whatever they willed. And guys, I can't help but think that sometimes that sounds a lot like the world that we live in. The world that wants to do everything so that we forget who our identity in Christ is. The world who wants to indoctrinate us to follow the values of what they believe is important. To follow the ways that they say you will find success in this world. But we as Christians, God is calling you and I, don't forget who you and I are. And don't run away from that type of people. 
Because if you look at verses 8 and 9, there were a group of prophets at this time who were teaching that God, actually, guys, I know God said you're going to be in exile for 70 years, but that's not true. You're only going to be here maybe like two years or three years. So they started deceiving God's people. You know, I know what God said to build houses in verse 5 and 6, but don't actually do it because it's not true. Don't move in. Uh, don't make your family there because you're only going to be here temporarily. So there was a group of these false prophets who were teaching exactly the opposite of what God was calling them to do. And what does God say in verse 8 and 9? Don't listen to them because I didn't send them. You're not here in Babylon to run away from it. You're here because I want you to engage and enter it so that you can be a source of light there. So do you see how outrageous God's call is for Israel to love and serve Babylon, the very people who destroyed their families and who exiled them there? But for some reason, he keeps pushing it. So we have to ask why. Why do I need to serve a people who I have no heart for? But even harder, why do I have to serve a people who only do nothing but hurt me? Why do I need to seek the shalom of people who is constantly removing me and constantly using me? And and how can I love these people who I deem my enemies? And if you look at verses 4, 7, and 14, the way God responds to that, you have to love, you have to seek their shalom because I sent you there. That's it because I sent you there, and that changes everything. He says in verse 4, 7, 14, I sent you, I sent you, I sent you, right? And there might be some of you who are like, yeah, but I read verse 1, and verse 1 actually says that Nebuchadnezzar sent them there, that Babylon exiled them there. So who is it? Is it, is it Babylon or is it God? And the answer is it's yes. It's, it's, it's both. God, so I don't know, like, when we look at this verse, we see, ne- we see Babylon as the social construct that brought them there. But what 4, 7, and 14 is highlighting is over them was God's hand that brought them there. What does that mean? That means you might think you are where you are because of social constructs like your job, like your family, or lack of a job, or just because you, you, you can't escape this place for whatever reason. But what you and I need to know is that you are here because God sent you here. And I know that might be really hard to see, especially for people who are in a situation where they don't want to be in, and especially where you tried everything to get out of the situation, and you have no idea why God has placed you here. The message for you and me is there's a reason God has sent you there. And you know, like, I wish I could offer you an answer for why you're there. I wish that once you left the service today, you can know why exactly the things that happened to your life happened but I can't do that for you. And on this side of heaven, I also can't guarantee you will ever find an answer for that, right? I don't know. Some, some things in life, we just don't know. And, but I can guarantee that once we do get to heaven one day to be with our Father, to be home in eternity, that's when we'll know for sure why things happen. But on this side of, the, of heaven, we might never know. But there is one thing that I do know Right? And the one thing that I do know is that you have a God who can be trusted in regardless of whether you know it or not. Look at verse 11. This is the promise God gives them. And he says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. I don't know why God sent you where you are, but if he sent you where you are, that means there has to be a reason, there has to be a purpose. Even in your disparity, 
and even in our hopelessness. And what God says to you and me in verse 11, that is wrestling to understand, he says, trust me. He says, trust me. I know what I'm doing. I know exactly why you are where you are. Do you trust me? And once we really begin to understand this, once we understand that there is a reason for why God sent us where we are, there is just this such strong of assurance and affirmation that the reason why you're at your job and your heart for it and the meaning for why you are at your work, it increases because you're gonna see the creator of work sent you there. And also when we begin to see this, your life is gonna expand and you might be surprised to see how much joy there actually is in your life because the God of life gave it to you. But thirdly, your view of friendship and relationships, all of those things are also going to slowly begin to heighten because you're gonna realize that the God of community gave those things to you. So that means when you log on to work tomorrow morning or whether you commute there, when you go home tonight to your family or whether you meet with your friends, God is there and there's a purpose for you being there. So what does this mean for you and me? And how can we live our lives in such a way that we embody faithful presence for the shalom of the city? Take a look at verses five to six with me. This is what God says. He says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. In other words, what God is saying is get comfortable because you're not leaving any time soon. Right? He says get comfortable because you are not leaving any time soon. And you, we, let's take a, let's just let's kind of look at that verse real quick, verses five to six. You know, it's kind of, it's, you, it's so obvious that God is saying, I'm calling you to plant, why? Because you don't invest in a house, you don't purchase a house, you don't build a house when you, in a neighborhood where you see no value in it. You just don't do that. You're losing way too much capital to even consider doing something like that. But God says, build, home, build a house here. Secondly, we see that God is saying prepare for the long term because you don't plant a garden and wait for the fruits to produce in one season. You have to do the work of gardening, seeding, watering, waiting, and then you have to wait for the fruit to produce. So there's a process, okay? There's a time. But thirdly, last time I checked, you don't have children, wait for them to mature, and then wait for them to have children in 10 years. There's a process to it. And so I think God is overemphasizing, I'm calling you here for the long run. So begin to think about how you can be faithfully present here. And to help us bring this down to our level, I have three practices that I want to talk about very quickly that we see in the text. And those three practices are to be present, to multiply, and then to pray. To be present, multiply and to pray. So the first is to be present. He says, build houses and live in them. And this might be a very obvious statement, but I think I need to mention this. We can't embody faithful presence if we're not first present. 
right? We can't, we can't be faithfully present if we're not there. And that's the first thing I really need to make clear because I think there's a lot of us in our lives where we're trying to figure out ways to get out, right? And I don't want you to hear me when I say God is calling you and me to be faithfully present. I don't want you to think that means that for some of you who are thinking of leaving your job later this year, that means you need to stay forever. I don't also, I don't also want to make it to sound like for those of you who are planning on leaving the city, leaving this community, that means you must stay at Mosaic forever, That is also not what I'm trying to say, but what I am saying is that there has to be a shift in our mindset that where God has placed you, if you're going to be here, be fully present with us. Have the mindset to lay roots. Have the mindset to build, right? And for those of us who rent, I rent a property right now um, where I live right now, and when you're renting, you don't really care for the things that kind of break in in your place because it's not yours and you're not going to be there for that, that long. But secondly, if you're, if you're renting somewhere, you don't really care about the school district. You don't care about the neighbor down the street because you're not going to be there permanently. But the moment you, you, you purchase a home and the moment you begin to lay deep roots, a.k.a. mortgage, in a place, your neighbor begins to matter. The school district begins to matter. Where your community is located begins to matter. And I'm calling us as a community, what would it look like for us to have this mentality where Mosaic is a community we look at and we say, we care for this place as if it's our own, because it is our own. And for the time, oh, amen. Um, And so for the time that you are here, what would it look like for us to build roots here and to keep building that together? But not only that, but also in your workplaces, in your families, and everywhere else God has had you. And one of the ways I saw Mosaic as a community be present is through the Crestkill move-in process, right? For those of you who might not know, uh, uh, Crestkill High School uses our facilities from Tuesday to Thursday. And honestly, I just, I admire our leaders, right? Our deacons, our, our elders, our pastors who really push for this to happen because we're gaining nothing from this. If anything, we're, using, we're expending our resources. We're being somewhat inconvenienced because we can't use this facility from Tuesday to Thursday. But what I loved about the heart of our leaders is that they wanted to be so present here that they would allow a high school to move in, right? And it's fascinating because we're not preaching, right? When they come here, Pastor Dave's not up here every morning when the bell rings and preaching the gospel. And then they go forth to their classrooms, It's not like that. They're just here and they're doing school here. But what's really cool is that I had an opportunity. I walked into one of the classrooms the other week because I had to pick up something. And it was like this really like, really like cute group of like ninth grade boys and girls. And they're just like, you know, they're talking and stuff. And I walked in and one of the students were like, hey man, like, are you a staff or like, what, like, are you a staff at this church? And I was like, oh, he's like, yeah, like I am. And he's like, he's like, yeah, cool. And I was like, yeah. And then, and, then he, and then he was like, I used to go to church too when I was younger. And I was like, like I, I didn't know if I was able to bring up church talk as someone who's not staff. So I didn't say anything, right? But he's like, yeah, I used to go to church too. But then his classmate was like, me too, when I was younger. And then he literally asked his classmate, why did you stop going? And then the, the kid was like, you know, I was Catholic growing up and it was really boring. And so I stopped going. And then, the other, and then the other kids were like, oh, yeah, like I stopped going too. And what was fascinating to me about that is I never brought up Jesus there. I didn't stir up this conversation. But the fact that they're here, they're having these conversations on their own. 
And what I learned was that you don't have to be, you don't have to preach Jesus for people to hear Jesus. You just have to embody the gospel and people will hear it loud and clear. It's a powerful thing, you know? And so what are the ways that we as a community can simply be present? And, you know, and I do also want to make a caveat really quick. Some of you might really be good at being present, but you're only present where you want to be present. What would it look like for you to take a step out of your comfort zone and to be present for a people, for a community that is a little bit harder to love and that can inconvenience you uh, just a little bit? What would that look like for us? And so God is calling us to faithful presence, but secondly, the second practice is to multiply. Verse six says, multiply there and do not decrease. This means then having children is a good thing. And, and I felt like I had to say that very quickly because a lot of my friends are, they talk about children these days and one thing they say is, I don't wanna bring kids into this world at how broken this world is, at how dark this world is. I don't know if it's worth it. Why would I, why would I bring my child into a world of hardship and suffering? And, and I get it. I understand it. I totally do. But what verse six is saying is that, yeah, we have fears, right? We all have fears into bringing children into this world. And I don't have kids of my own, but I can imagine how hard it is to, to raise up little images of God. Trust me, it was hard when my mom raised me, and I can guarantee you that it was hard for your parents when they raised you as well. But um, God is calling us to raise up these images of God, but not only physical little images, but also I believe God is calling you and me to raise up spiritual images of God. Something the Bible says when uh, somebody comes to know faith in Jesus is that that person becomes a son and a daughter of God, right? He says becomes a son and a daughter of God. What would it look like for our community to be so part of that vision to raise up these people, these images of God? And so as the young pastor of the group, of the team, you know, I always make the pull. We need, we need our older members to pour into the younger members, right? You have so much wisdom and experience, and we need you to pour into us. So what would it look like for you to grab coffee with some of our younger, younger adults and just talk about life? What would it look like to grab a meal? What would it look like to mentor, to disciple, to have conversations, right? But also, um, for our college students, for our younger folks, you're not off the hook either, because right outside the atrium, we have resurgence right there. We have middle school. We have elementary school. We have preschool. What would it look like for you younger folks to also invest into building younger brothers and sisters in the faith? And the image I get is a cup just pouring into another cup and that cup pouring into another cup. And it's the cycle of our commuting being poured into and again and again and again. So, you know, Let's not be like tourists, right, who just take the resources of wherever we are, but let's be residents where we are to multiply and to invest back into our community. And lastly is prayer. But here's the thing. In a fallen and messed up world, not everybody gets to have a job, right? In a fallen and messed up world, not everybody gets to have children when they want to have children, Right? In a fallen and messed up world, not everyone gets to have a job or even a job that matters or that really gives, makes them feel impactful or they're like really doing something in their lives. Should we be able to? Absolutely, but that's not always the case. And same thing with having children. You know? But one thing everybody does have is a prayer. 
one thing we all do have and have access to is being able to come before God. And in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our inabilities to come before him and say, God, I have no strength, but I know you can do something about it, so we pray. Verse seven says, pray for the shalom of the city which I have called you to, and our prayers need to be for our world and community and not against it. And so to close, imagine this. Imagine these exiles, right? <sighs> Jeremiah preached this word to them, and they're, they're just amped up. They're like, okay, we know our vision. We know our mission. We know what we're supposed to do. Seek the shalom of the city. I got it. First week, they're going really strong. Second week, they're going really strong. They meet together at the church in Babylon, and they're just they're encouraging each other. They're trekking along. But then a month goes by, right? And then a month goes by, their conviction kind of dwindles a little bit. They're just like, what are we supposed to do again? And so what do the leaders do? They, they come together, and they have a retreat together. There's a retreat in the middle of Babylon, and they, they talk about the vision. They hire a great guest speaker to come and speak, and now they're amped up. Their faith is rekindled, so they go back out to the world, and they're ready to bring this vision alive to the world. And, but then one month turns into one year. One year turns into 10 years, 10 to 20, 20 to 40, and now these Jewish exiles are like, what is going on? I thought we just had to be faithful to accomplish this, accomplishing this mission, but why are we still here? Why am I still seeking the shalom of Babylon when I feel like I'm getting nothing out of this? How much longer do I have to do this? Is God even present with us right now? And the only thing they had to hold on to through every year, through every season, through every cycle of hope and despair, the only promise they had to hold on to was the promises in 10 to 13 where God says to them, for the, I know the plans that I have for you, right? And that's a verse you and I might hear or you might see on a mug or a bumper a card, whatever thing, bumper sticker. But we have to understand that that verse was meant for a people that was ready to endure 70 years of suffering and that was the promise God gave them and, and they, all they had to remember through every trial and hardship was that promise and for those of you and me right now who are wondering why am I still in this why do I still feel hopeless and in despair and when, when am, is God going to take me out of what I'm in right now we have to remember to return to this promise you and I have to hear God's message to Israel the same way for I know the plans that I have for you. And there will come a day when you call me and you will, and you will find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, I, you will find me. I will hear you. We have to remember that's the promise that is available for us, to us right now. But the way that promise was given to you and me, we have to remember Jesus we have to remember how he is, verse seven, personified. He connected his well-being to us. And in order for us to have this shalom, this holistic wholeness in our lives, he had to give up his own. On the cross, he had to give up his resources, his well-being, his life so that he could secure yours and mine. So as we go through this life as exiles, we can always have shalom, even when there's chaos running around us because he gave it to us. So church, as you go back out into the world that he is sending you today, 
Remember his faithful presence in your life and, that, and let that move you to be faithfully present where he is sending you to be present, to multiply, and to continue in prayer. Let's pray.